Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Hey, today is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. It's Communicator Sunday. And so if you've ever been a part of one of our Communicator Sundays, it's a really special time for our church family because on this day, you get to hear from individuals within our church family. So today you're going to hear from five individuals. Uh, I'm going to introduce them in just a second. And we've told them they've got about five or six minutes. So if they get to 10 or 12, just boo them off. The, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. But uh, they got about five or six minutes and they've been preparing for several weeks. They've submitted kind of outlines and notes of what God was laying on their heart. Some of them, they're going to share part of their personal testimony. Some of them are going to share verses and scriptures and stories and narratives that kind of mean something to them and they believe will mean something to you. But here's what I always say when we come to this moment. If it's funny, laugh. That will help them a ton. If it's, if it's sad or emotional and you feel a tear coming on, just go ahead and cry with them because they may be crying too. But we want you to engage. Clap for them. Welcome them to the stage. When they leave the stage, clap for them because it takes a lot of guts to stand up here and to share something as personal. Some of these folks are going to share as encouraging, inspiring as they're going to share with you. So I really want you to do that in support of them. I'll come back up at the end and kind of bring it all to a close, but it's a really, really great day. So I'm going to introduce all five now, and then they'll come up one after the other after this quick video. So Mr. Ken Summers is over here. He's kind of hidden. He's our first one. Yep. And then Chelsea Bailey, you just heard Chelsea singing just a minute ago. And then Emily Donald. Yep. Billy Pashan. And then Miss Pam White. So... So it's going to be awesome. I promise I've heard most of these. I've heard their notes. I've seen their notes. I've heard them as they prepared and practiced. It's going to be powerful, but it's not some kind of sideshow. Like this is, this is the sermon for the day. God's laid something on their heart to deliver to you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. We'll jump into a video and then they'll come right after that. All right, let's pray together. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for all that's been accomplished already today in this place. And God, I pray that over the next few minutes, you would open our hearts and open our ears to hear what you have for us through these individual speakers that are coming for Communicator Sunday. Speak through them. Give them just strength and encouragement, uh, a peace to be able to deliver the message that's on their heart. And God, everything that you have for us today, we'll receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. And for those who are watching online, whether it's live or later, great to have you join us as well over these next uh, Several minutes. My name is Ken Summers. My wife Debbie and I have been a part of Generations Church since the fall of 2021, and it's been our privilege to be involved in several areas of ministry. As we come to the celebration of the 247th birthday of the United States, I have a question for you. How would you draw a line graph depicting the moral, ethical, and spiritual trajectory of the United States from its founding to today? When I think of that, there's a verse in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 32, that gets my attention, or maybe makes me a little bit nervous. It says this, and at that time, the Lord began to reduce the territory of Israel. Now, the history of this verse comes at a time, a hundred years after Israel was divided between two kingdoms, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Israel to the north was plagued over the years by idolatry, wickedness, and rebellion against God. Finally, Elijah the prophet anoints General Jehu, the leader of Israel's armies, as king. He revolts, overthrows the household of Ahab, destroys Ahab's household, 
and destroys Baal worship in Israel. But he doesn't remove the idol worship from northern, the northern part of Israel and the southern part of Israel. So we could say that uh, Jehu was good, but he wasn't good enough. You see, idolatry in Israel was kind of like uh, kudzu in Georgia. I mean, you could, you could cut it back, but unless you root it out, it grows back stronger than ever. And so we see that for Israel, and it ended up being too little, too late. Now, what's interesting, it took 143 more years before Assyria came and took Israel captive. Now, a deeper look at the history of all of this would reveal three important lessons or observations. First of all, we see that the Lord is patient and long-suffering. He desires all to come to repentance and to experience real change in their lives. The next thing we see is the Lord chooses those he will to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes those people he chooses are more evil than those he is judging, as it was in the case of Israel and God's chosen people. And the third thing is the Lord's judgment is in his time and in his way. And this throws a lot of people off because they, I'm not sure where we got this concept of um, immediate retribution, but it's not in the Bible. Most judgment of God is delayed because of an opportunity for people to repent and come to him. Now, is there an application here for the United States as we celebrate the 4th of July? Well, it's important to realize that, you know, we're not God's chosen, the United States is not God's chosen people. You know, but when you look at the founding of our nation, you'll see kind of this understanding. We're good. All right, there we go. Um, Benjamin Franklin, actually in his older years at the Constitutional Convention, said this. I have observed in my life that God governs the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, can an empire rise without his aid? President John Adams said the Constitution is made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly incapable and inapplicable to anyone else. So with that the case, can the United States continue to trend toward uh, forsaking those values, towards for almost secular idolatry and to an immorality as we look at where we are at now, I don't know if, um, you know if we're going to be at that point where we're going to continue to see a downward trend. If, if the Lord is going to allow the United States to begin losing its influence uh, in the world and on the world stage, uh, that's something that will unfold in God's way and God's plan. But there is an important message for all of us today, and that is, First of all, let's be the church that God has called us to be. Uh, we don't need government to be different. We don't need people to be, we, we need people to be different. We need God's people to be different. Now is the time to be salt and light in our world. Anger, resentment against 
our culture is not going to make a difference. What's going to make a difference is when God's people commit fully to him and become uh, that, that source of, of hope for the hopeless and, and help for the hurting. And then let's remain faithful to biblical values and truth. In other words, don't compromise. Uh, the world and its values is not your guide. The Bible and its truth is your guide. The character of Christ should guard your conduct. And then stand firm. You know, our founding fathers took a firm stand. They um, they've faced a time when not everybody was in favor of what they were doing. There were those who were loyalists to the crown, but yet they stood firm in their commitment for independence and pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And we need to stand firm in our commitment to the Lord and standing for him. I'm reminded of, and in closing, just first, let me leave you with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves wholly, fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God bless you. Well, good morning. My name is Chelsea Bailey, and my husband and I have been attending Generations Church for several years now. Uh, in June of 2019, we were blessed with our daughter, Taylor. Uh, she is our first child and the first grandchild on both sides, so she's blessed is what we call her. Uh, when I was asked to speak for Communicator Sunday, I admit I was a little nervous and had no idea what I was going to talk about. Um, for people that know me, I usually always have something that I'm going to talk about. So that was a little bit different. Uh, I was praying about what I would say, and a single word kept coming up, and that word was hope. I looked up the word hope in the dictionary, and Merriam-Webster defines hope as to expect with confidence, to want something to happen or be true, or to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. Reading through those definitions, I find that this word brings comfort. When I was 18, my graduation gift was a six-week mission trip to Ecuador. I think I have some pictures back there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, my family knew a missionary couple that did ministry on the coast in a city called Tonsupa. I wanted my first missions trip to be doing ministry with them. So every day I took a bus to the city where I worked at a children's home, helping the kids with their homework or playing with them. The kids called me Tia Chelsea or Aunt uh, in the evenings, I worked on translating a book for the couple, and in the early mornings, we went on a prayer walk along the beach. We used that time to pray for the city and the local pastors, as well as anything else we might have been in prayer about. Um, I also helped prepare for groups from churches in the United States to come down and helped plan their itinerary, as well as translate for them while they were on their trip, as they did outreach ministry around the coast. So overall, my time spent was full of ministry, and I was really occupied. On July 23rd, 2009, my world was turned upside. 
My dad called me one day while in Ecuador to let me know that my brother had passed away unexpectedly. I was going to be brought back home and had to cut my missions trip short. When I arrived home, I found it hard to feel hopeful. If we're being honest, I felt more hopeless than anything else. I couldn't understand why he had to go. I didn't understand how someone so young could be taken away so soon. I was given a scripture by a family friend, and it's found in Psalms 84, verse 5 through 7. It reads, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I did a little research on this valley of Baca, and I found that it's a figurative valley of weeping. Warren Worsby, an author and clergyman, describes the Valley of Baca as a name for any difficult and painful place in life, where everything seems hopeless and you feel helpless, like the pit of despair. This was exactly how I was feeling. I was hurting, and I felt as though nothing would ever be better. My brother's death was my valley. There are hard times where hope is hard to find and weeping is present. The part that I see is the most important is that we should pass through the valley. This is not a dwelling place. There's not a determined time that it takes to pass through this valley, but it's not a place that we should be living. It's been almost 14 years, and while it's still not easy, I am better than I was before. The other part of the scripture that I found interesting is as they pass through the valley, they make it a place of springs. Other translations say it becomes a well or a refreshing spring. This gives me hope that all that I have gone through in this valley becomes a place of rest and blessings for those on a similar journey behind me. If you're in a valley right now and you think that things will never get better, have hope. Keep walking through your valley and do not dwell there. Keep moving. You may not see the spring that you're creating, but you are ministering to those on a similar journey. You are leaving behind a blessing for others. The Lord will guide us step by step through our own valleys if we continue to have hope and trust in him. How can you show others hope through life's most challenging circumstances? I end with a scripture found in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 7. It reads, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Thank you. Well, good morning. My name is Emily Donald, and I'm so thankful to be up here today. Today, I'm going to be sharing a small part of my testimony, overcoming insecurity. Now, insecurity, by definition, and it should be up here on the screen for you, is a feeling of uncertainty. It's a lack of confidence in oneself. It's something that produces anxiety about your goals, your relationships, and your ability to handle certain situations. It's the fear of being adequate not being good enough. I wonder how many of us felt this way today. Like how many of us woke up this morning 
to get ready to come gather here, and we had a lack of confidence in who we are. I think that this is something that a lot of us struggle with in some way, and it's a constant battle that seems to just never go away. Well, insecurity consumed me. I was so scared of being disapproved of. I was seeking the approval of others, and my vision became distorted from seeing what God said about me. What felt like every day, I would wake up, and the first thing I would do is step in front of the mirror and say things to myself like, you're not good enough. They won't like what you're wearing. Change your clothes. You're not pretty enough. You won't be liked because you don't do this, you don't do that. You're an outcast, and you have no one. You're alone. You will never measure up. And this is how it would start my day. Like, imagine how the rest of my day would go. Horrible. (laughs) My joy was gone, and my insecurity became my master. It literally would dictate my life. Someone once told me something that stuck with me through this season, and they said this. When you speak insecurity, you're insulting the one who created you. This is when I realized that my foundation wasn't being built on God. It was being built on insecurity and the approval of others. Because when you say that God didn't do a good enough job, sorry, when you're insulting the one who created, when you, sorry, when you speak insecurity, you're insulting the one who created you. Like you're telling God that he missed some steps and that he didn't do a good enough job. This is when I realized that my foundation was not being built on God. It was being built on insecurity and the approval of others. I needed to fix my foundation. One of the scriptures I came across during this season of my life and that I continue to turn back to is Psalm 139. I'm sure most of you already know this scripture, but I think it's a good one for when we begin to doubt. Psalm 139 says this, starting with verse 1 through 5. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hid me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. And then we skip down to verse 13 and 14, and it says this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And then we go to verse 16 through 18 that says this. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Wow. Think about that for a second. Like, God made us so unique. You were a thought in God's head, right? Like, he thought about you before you were even in your mother's womb. You were just a thought. There are over 7.9 billion people in this world, and not one of us are the exact same. Not one of us. We can have similarities, but none of us are the exact same. So he did not make a mistake when he created you. He thought of you in his mind, and he said, man, I have to have one just like that. And here, every single one of you are here today. 
I wonder what our day would look like if the first thing we did was clothe ourselves with truth and spit time with God. Like instead of starting our day with negativity, what if we woke up and said, we looked at ourselves in the mirror and we said, I am chosen. Because 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you are chosen. You are gifted. You have gifts. You have gifts. Because Romans 12, 6 says, you are gifted. You are loved. You do not have to be loved by anybody else but God. You are loved because Jeremiah 31, 3 says you are loved. You have a purpose on this earth. That's why you're here. Romans 8, 28 says you have purpose. Just like we just read in Psalm 139, 14, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't define you. Ephesians 1, 7 says you are forgiven. You are known by God. Jeremiah 1, 5. You are complete. Stop trying to find other things in this world to fill your voids because the only one that makes you complete is Jesus himself. Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete in Christ Jesus. You are worth fighting for. Exodus 14.14. This is just a glimpse of the many things that God says about you. So when you look in the mirror and you see nothing but disgust, God is saying, no, take another look, my child. That is not what I've called you. That is not what I say about you. That's not how I made you. Now, I'm standing up here today sharing this with you and hopes that insecurity will not become your master. And that if it already is your master, that you can be set free from it today in Jesus' name. That you will pick up the word of God and you will stand confident in who God says that you are. Now, we all know that the enemy comes to steal. He comes to kill. And he comes to destroy. He wants your identity. He wants your joy. He wants your family. He wants your peace. He wants the relationships that you need in your life. And he wants to destroy you. And he wants you to doubt yourself. He does not want you to believe that you're a child of God. But don't be afraid of the enemy and let him lie to you. Stand firm in your calling, confident in knowing who you are in Christ. Because he can't have your purpose. He can't have your identity. He can't have your family. He can't have your calling. And he sure can't have your joy. When your feet are planted in the word, on the rock, and the storm of insecurity comes, you won't be shaken and you won't be moved because you already know whose you are. And I want to leave you guys with this. When you leave here today, remember this. You are more than your past. You're more than what's happened to you. You're more than the labels. You're more than your mistakes. Because those things don't define you. The Father does. You are loved. You're highly favored. You are anointed. And you are chosen by God. Nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Let's not forget that. Thank you. Pastor Jeremy, you've given me an opportunity to do this several times now, and you always put me after some ringer, and uh, man, jeez, buddy, hook me up one time, all right? Um, 
But uh, my name's Billy Pichon. My wife and I are, are one of the elder couples here at uh, Generations. We've been here about six years. And, um, and again, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, in 2005, uh, I had been married about a year. My wife was pregnant with our first son, uh, Will. And, um, and we were just having a tough time as, as a brand new married couple. I was roofing houses during the day. I was a chef at night, believe it or not. Uh, my wife was a high school teacher, and um, one year into our marriage, we were already beyond our mortgage, just on credit cards. We were already $60,000 in debt, but we had some nice furniture from rooms to go, <laughs> and don't feel bad for us because we don't even have to start paying for it till 2045, <laughs> so everything was going pretty good, right? But... Um, at 26 years old, I called my mom, who had, had been just uh, the rock in my life up until that point as a single mother and is still a rock in my life today, and, and I just thought I'd do a little whining. Tell her adulting's too hard. This is too tough, you know, and, and just the financial aspect of life is just, I can't do this. And, and so when I got done whining to my mom, she, there was a pause, and she said, well, how's your tithing? What'd you say? She said, how's you and Cassie's tithing? Call me back when you're tithing. <laughs> Click. So that day, my wife and I sat in that little bedroom in our house in Cartersville, Georgia, and we committed ourselves to tithing. God's word says, put me to the test on this. There's only one place in the Bible where God says, put me to the test, and he says, put me to the test in your finances. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. See, God had a plan. Up until that point in my career, from 2000 to 2008, I'd always been in some form of construction. Well, if you know what happened in 2008, the residential construction market collapsed. And I, along with 60 other men, at a com men and women, pardon me, at a company one day all lost our jobs. At this point, I had two children, and things weren't going real well. All I had known is construction, and I couldn't find a new job. But through a good friend of mine, I got an opportunity, of all things, to become a portfolio manager at a real estate investment company. I didn't know anything about that. I certainly didn't know anything about finance, and I certainly had never had to wear a, a shirt and tie to work every day. But I'll tell you, God had a plan. Over those next five years, my wife would need major heart surgery. My son would knock his teeth into his nasal cavity and need major surgery. And then that same son would fall off a playground and my wife would catch him as he was falling only to get her knee caught, blow out her knee and need two major re reconstructive surgeries. Stay away from my wife and kid. They will get you hurt. But I tell you what, I worked for one of the most godly, generous men you've ever met in your life. Those medical bills equated to well over $150,000, and that guy paid for every penny. During that time, I learned the true meaning of generosity, and I learned the meaning of servant leadership. 
At the end of that six-year period working for that man, my wife and I were debt-free. So let me tell you what I learned. Let me tell you what I learned during that time. Number one, everything we have is God's. Everything we have is God's provision. Whatever you had, have now, will have in the future, that's God's provision right there. Pastor Aaron told me he likes this next point. Sometimes you have to hug a cactus. I'll say it again. Sometimes you have to hug a cactus. Sometimes you have to do the things that are uncomfortable to get you to where you want to be. I'm going to be honest with you. There were a couple times where Cassie and I were sitting there at the dining room table, and it was either tithe or pay this bill. We tithed. And then some long-lost aunt, I didn't even know, sent me a birthday check four months too late. But we had what we needed till the next bill, right? The third thing is, you had to change my mindset from have to to get to. See, it used to be when that deposit would come in every other Friday, I'd be like, I have to tithe. But what does have to mean? Have to means it's a requirement. I didn't want it to be a requirement. I wanted to get to. I wanted to say every two weeks when that deposit came in that I get to. What does get to? It's desire. It's an opportunity. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he, excuse me, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the last thing I learned during my time with something called the closed fist versus the open hand, right? So a closed fist is about control. It's, you're telling God that I control this money, but at the end of the day, that money is controlling you, right? The thing about a closed fist is when your fist is closed around your finances, nothing can go out, but guess what? Nothing else can come in, right? God can't bless that hand. But what about the open hand? You're free to give. You're free to have a hope, a servant's heart. And at the end of the day, when you have a servant's heart, you're also what? Free to receive because God can bless you. So here's what I think today. I think there's somebody in this room, and I assure you I talked with Pastor Jeremy before I do this. I think there's somebody in this room that needs a blessing. If you don't need a blessing, then you know somebody that needs a blessing this week. It could be groceries. It could be a tank of gas. It could be just a little help until your next bill. So I tell you what, I want to continue to display that servant leadership and faith in God and my finances So if you're willing and bold enough to raise your hand, I'll give you this money right now and hope that it blesses you. But you have to be bold enough to raise your hand and I'll come to you. If no one will raise their hand, then come find Pastor Jeremy or myself after the service and I'd love to bless you. Have a wonderful day.
Good morning, Generations Church. For those that don't know me, I'm Pastor Aaron's mom, Pam. (laughs) And I'm not a preacher, so you're going to have to bear with me for a little while and try to make it through this. But um, many of you know us, and you know a year and a half ago, we lost our daughter, our youngest daughter, Brianna, um, just 25 years of age, and she had just given birth eight days earlier to her second child, Amelia. Today, I want to share with you God's faithfulness and unfailing love that he has for all of us, and that even in our darkest moments, he is still worthy to be praised. In the Bible, King David and Job both lost children. King David lost his firstborn son. Job lost seven sons and three daughters in one day. That's a lot. But they both declared God's faithfulness and praised him even in their darkest moments. On January 15, 2022, I stepped in my daughter's room at the hospital and stood by her bed and heard what no mother or parent ever wants to hear. Your daughter's brain dead, and we're so sorry. I remember looking around the room at everybody standing there, and I said, well, you don't know what my Jesus can do, and I am not going to accept that until he says so. Well, <clears throat> we began praying and believing for the healing. We knew Jesus could heal Brianna. He could bring her back from the dead just like he did Lazarus. And, but our heart's desire of healing and what God's heart's desire, his ultimate healing was, were two different things. What seemed like hours in that room, but I could tell you, I really don't know how long it really was. We were praying and believing. And I reached up and put my hand on Brianna's head to pray for her again. And Jesus stopped me. And he said, Brianna isn't coming back. He, she is with me. And once she met me face to face, she saw your parents. And then after that, I knew I had been hit with a tornado at that point. My world started spinning. I lost my breath. I knew where my daughter was, but motions were out of control. They were all over the place, and I'm telling you, the room was spinning. But even though my emotions were out of control, Jesus was still in the room with me. He was still in control, and he had not left me. Well... Even though Jesus is in the room with me, um, at that moment, Satan started throwing words of doubt my way. Where is your God now? Why didn't he save your daughter? Look what all you've done for him over the years, and he turned his back on you and took her. I found myself in a fork in the road. I could take the narrow path and follow Jesus the one that had been faithful to me in my 37 years of marriage, to my children, to my parents, and my siblings, or to take the worldly broad path and turn my back on the Lord and say, where were you, God? And die to everything I had believed in all my life. Well, um, the Bible talks about storing scripture in your heart. And I, um, how he takes your test and turns them into your testimony and builds your faith even stronger. 
as I reflected over what God had done for me that night, um, he reminded me of my testimonies, my personal testimonies. And I want to give you a glimpse of them. At eight years of age, uh, my parents were in the midst of a divorce. Friends of theirs had invited them to church, and we all went. I watched my parents walk down to the altar, get on their hands and knees, and surrender their marriage and their selves to the Lord. At eight years of age, I realized there was a God, and he was good, and I then dedicated my life to him. At 31 years of age, my 16-month-old nephew died suddenly of SIDS. I watched Jesus walk my brother and my sister-in-law and the rest of us all through his death. And he never left us or forsaked us. He was there all the time. Several years later, Richard and I marriage was on the rocks. And we pretty much gave up on it. But Jesus didn't see it that way. He picked up each piece of our marriage and miraculously put us back together. You know, um, I found myself at that moment, at an even-if moment. Even if God did not heal Brianna, but he took Brianna to heaven to meet him face-to-face, was I willing to praise him? Ultimately, isn't that truly what we want? We want our children to meet Jesus face-to-face and one day us to meet Jesus face-to-face. That's my heart's desire for my family. Well, sorry. At that point, I remember telling Jesus, I don't understand this. And this really, really, really hurts. But you have shown yourself faithful to me and my family, and we are going to remain faithful to you. I would love to tell you that after taking that narrow path that night, that everything the last 18 months was really easy for me and my family, that that truly would be a lie. (laughs) You see, Satan is real, just as Emily had spoke about. And he does come to steal, to kill, and destroy You and your family, especially in your darkest hours. He likes to take all your whys you have, and we have a lot, and put a wall between you, build a wall between you and God, so you will turn your back on God. But see, there's a lot of good truth, a lot of good truth, and I can only hit a few points. But even with all my family's whys and all the pain we had walked through and are still walking through it, Jesus has given us peace, a peace that surpassed all understanding. And we learned to lean on him and to rely on Jesus to supply our strength to make it through each and every day. Some days, we didn't feel like moving forward. And God's grace simply carried us. That's all I can say. He carried us through the hard days. Remember I mentioned King David and Job and how they both lost a child or children. Jesus constantly that night in the room with Brianna and every day since reminded me of how they too had lost children, but they found God worthy to be praised and that they were going to praise him in in their darkest hours. That gave me hope. 
hope that I could make it through this, that I too could praise Jesus in my darkest hour, and that I wasn't alone in death of a child. I could survive. One night, I was struggling really hard, as y'all could probably imagine. I was crying out to God, and I was in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And God reminded me, too, that he had experienced the death of a child, a child for us. And not only he, but Mary, his mother, Jesus' mother, was there also. And she, too, experienced the pain I was experiencing. And God never left her. She, he was there with it the whole time. So how do I think this applies to you and myself even? Um, I know a lot of your stories. I know a lot of your prayers and a lot of my own prayers. Um, prayers for your children, for your marriages, for your finances, for sickness and disease that you're carrying, for family members that are on drugs, alcohol, or those that have just turned their back on the Lord and have totally walked away. And then some don't even know him yet. Well, I'll leave you with this. We serve a God who has unfailing love for all of us. And the saved and the unsaved, he loves us all. He is faithful. He is faithful to his children. And we are all God's children. When you're praying for you and your family's needs... Remember Psalms 37.4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see that night, Brianna meeting Jesus face to face. After a long thought, that really is my heart's desire. It wasn't just that Brianna and my children and my family and grandchildren and generations to come would just worship God and worship Jesus. It was one day that they would meet him face to face. Well, when you find yourself in your darkest places and you feel you can't go on, Philippians 4, 5 through 7, just remember this. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We serve a God that will not abandon you in your darkest moments. He loves you through it all. And he has the grace to carry you when you feel you can't breathe and you can't go on. He will not leave you. I pray that your needs will be met. And I know my needs that night were met. Jesus has shown his hand to me and my family. And I find him faithful. Thank you. What a powerful day. Here's here's what I'm always reminded of on Communicator Sunday. You don't always know the story of the person sitting next to you when you show up to church on Sunday. I mean, we walk in and it's like, how you doing today? I'm good. How are you? And you don't know what they're carrying. You don't know what they're walking through. You don't know the conversation they had at the dining room table about their money the night before. 
You don't know the decision they made when they wrote that tithe check. They're like, I don't know if this is even going to clear. You don't know the doctor's visit they had the day before or they're walking into this week. You don't know the loss that they've experienced in the previous few weeks or months or years that they're still walking through. You don't know the hope that they're trying to cling to and trying to find in the midst of adversity. And you don't know the prayers that they're praying when we bow our heads and we gather in a room like this. But every single one of us has a story. And whether you come to share it on a future communicator Sunday or you ask the Lord to give you the grace to share it at lunch today with a waiter or waitress, a neighbor when you take the trash cans down tomorrow night, a friend as you sit at a meal in the next few days or the next few hours perhaps, could God use your story to impact someone else the way these stories have impacted us today? Because each one of them revealed Jesus Christ to all of us. The hope that we have for the future, for our country, for our family, for our children, for our own lives, how to walk through loss and grief and tragedy and how to have hope and joy. We've laughed together, how not to worry about insecurities and not to believe the lies of the enemy, but cling to the truth of God's word and what he has declared about your life. Each of us has a story. And so I encourage you on this Communicator Sunday when you leave to go and be communicators of the gospel. Everywhere that you go, God, how might you use what you are doing in me to impact someone with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? In just a moment, we're going to give and we'll, we'll be dismissed. And I hope you hang around for a few more minutes. I promise you're still going to be early to lunch. But here's what I want you to do. If you're sitting next to family or friends or somebody that's right there that you already have relationship with and you feel comfortable, I just want you to kind of maybe lay your hand on their shoulder, grab them by the hand if it's somebody there. If you don't know the person next to you, the best thing you could do is just introduce yourself because you're about to put your hand on their shoulder, right? If you feel comfortable doing that, just introduce yourself. Maybe just... Just lay your hand on their shoulder. Ask them their name, or maybe you just start by saying your name. That sometimes is awkward because it's like, oh, I'm supposed to know their name. So everybody do this. I'm going to help you. Just look to your left and your right and say your name out loud right now. Even if you think they're supposed to know it, you're supposed to know it. That's okay. Just say it out loud. Now, here's what we're going to do as we close our time before we go into the, the last few moments of our service. I just want us to pray for the person beside us, those people on our right and our left. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's somebody you met 17 seconds ago. But we're gonna pray that God, in his grace and his mercy and his love towards us, would help us to take these stories and apply them in our own hearts and lives to receive something today from them, but also to take them and turn them out. And that over the next few hours, the next few days, that we would be communicators of the gospel. Can we do that? Let's just pray together right now. God, we love you so much. And I thank you for every person in this room, every person watching online. God, I thank you for Communicator Sunday. I thank you for the stories we've heard, these messages of hope. I thank you, God, that we don't have to believe the, the, the lies of the enemy who's trying to destroy us, but that we can believe the truth of your word, that we can put you to the test, and you are found faithful every single time. God, we pray for our nation, but we, we do internalize the words that Ken said. We pray that we would be the church we're called to be in this community, and that we would be the people of God mobilized here to share the good news. God, we pray that like the words of Chelsea, that we would have hope in dark times, that we would recognize that that hope is found in you. God, we, we pray that we would take what Emily shared with us today and we wouldn't believe those lies, but we would cling to the truth and we would believe that we are chosen and forgiven and loved and accepted for who we are. And you didn't make a mistake, God. God, I pray that we would take these words that Billy shared with us and we would put you to the test in every area of our lives, including our finances, and we would see you to be faithful over and over and over again. You own it all. You are Jehovah Jireh. 
So God, we thank you for that. And God, these words that we've heard from Pam, that in the, the, the darkest of nights, that God, you would be with us. We believe that. You promise never to leave us nor forsake us. We've been singing about that all day already. And God, I pray for every person in this room that the story that they have As we've said so many times, we are either a Jesus, we have a Jesus story or we're a Jesus story in the making. So God, would we take our story and would we share it to give that kind of hope and joy and grace to those around us? And it's all to point people to you for your praise and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Can we just give a hand to all of these communicators today? Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.